Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of The Run-In. This week we will be giving you a recap of the British Knight Championships, um, an insight into the ongoing controversy around coronavirus and the IOF ethics panel looking into the World Cup in China. And our main part of the episode will be an interview with Jaywalk relay gold medalist and silver medalist in the middle, Fiona Bunn, giving us an insight into her um, kind of victorious Jaywalk week in July last year and how she prepared for it and her plans for the upcoming season and a transition into the senior team. Mm -hmm. So all of that to look forward to. But first, Catherine, we'll get started with the results of the British Night Championships held down in Hambledon uh, last weekend. Yeah, yeah, they were going on recently and um, our two winners from the main uh, 21 elite classes of course we have had British Knight champions crowned in uh, all of the different age groups but Graham Bristwood was the winner of M21 seven British Knight titles in a row for Gigi fantastic and he was seven minutes and four seconds quicker than second placed Ben Mitchell uh, third was Philip Vokes uh, again another great achievement in W21 Megan Carter Davis winning she currently holds all of the British titles we were saying last year that she you know she holds the sprint middle and long we were saying she holds all the daytime titles so now she's added the night title to her collection again an impressive uh, winning margin this time 11 and a half minutes faster than Sarah Rollins of course the W40 who's running W21 interestingly she's entered uh, W21 elite for the British British Championships coming up. Uh, third mm. place was Chloe Haynes, who was 12 minutes behind Megan. So, yeah, two very dominant performances then in the uh, 21 classes. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, the night championships, even though a lot of elite runners find night uh, training to be very important and very useful, especially as you're going into kind of the relays that are coming up this year. But yeah, not you, there's, there's never quite as big a turnout for the night championships as there are for the daytime ones. No, it's a shame. So it always seems to clash with the National Cross Country Championships as well. So mm. I guess for anyone in Scotland who's focusing on cross country, they wouldn't have been able to make the trip down for it. Speaking to Ben Mitchell, he said that he was a bit disappointed not to be a lot closer to Gigi. I think he made quite a bad error near the end and, and said he should have been giving him a, a bigger run for his money. So, uh, uh, But yeah, Gigi, still dominant of the night, still kind of ticking off the titles. Um, and Meg, yeah, uh, holding all the titles at once. I don't know if anyone's ever done that before. We'll have to have a look and see if that's the first time anyone's held all British titles at once. Because that's a quite an astounding uh, record. It probably Gigi, if it is somebody. <laughs> <laughs> probably is. Um, but we've got the first uh, race of the UK Elite O-League coming up uh, this weekend. Will, where is it? Who are we looking for to be doing well there? So it's up in Royal Deeside in Scotland. So there's a sprint race and a um, forest long distance as well. Um, I was up in um, in Speyside last weekend and it was pretty snowy so the long distance <laughs> could be a bit of a tough one um, but for the uh, for the women's side Meg isn't making the trip up so defending champion not um, attending the first round of the league this year so the women's race is, is open to uh, 21 to get off to a really good start there mm-hmm. um, and for the guys side Gigi will be heading up um, so back up Scotland from the Bristol Knights um, and we'll be looking to get his season underway um, that weekend. Interesting to see how he goes in the sprint because he's not done um, kind of an all out sprint in a couple of years. So, with Sprint Walk this year, maybe he'll Is give he it a crack. Is he into the sprint? 
Uh, I think he has entered the sprint. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. I'm pretty. Sh- I, I, someone told me that. Um, and then you've got Chris Jones making a return to the forest as well. So we'll see how he can do um, as as a uh, an athletics boy now. As he did say, he's not an orienteer anymore to me last weekend. So uh, we'll see how he, he and Pete Hodgkinson go. And uh, Sasha Chaplin, who's been keeping under the radar this winter, but I think is in pretty good shape as well. Wow, Chris Jones racing in a forest. That is a headline, really. It's a, it's we should, we should have led kids. with that. We should have led with that. Anyway, that's all coming up. We'll bring you uh, the results and everything from that in the next episode. So still to come on this episode, we're going to be chatting about Fair Play, that Fair Play scandal series of uh, findings that have been going on we're going to bring you the latest on that also about coronavirus how that is currently affecting uh, orienteering globally but first of all uh, we're delighted to have our to have Fiona Bunn back on the podcast talking all things jaywalk Fiona welcome back uh, last time we talked to you was quite shortly after the jaywalk relay um, and I think in this chat I want to talk more about your jaywalk 2019 experience more widely um, and what we know about nine months after jaywalk what is your kind of now nine months later what's your main assessment of how that jaywalk was um so obviously I was really happy with um with how it went um and it was just a really really nice way to end my time as a junior it kind of made me feel like I deserved a bit of a break um and I think that was very needed um but it's also made me quite excited to um look forward and move into the senior age groups um yeah it kind of gives me motivation that it sounds cheesy that like anything is possible um, because I'd always kind of aimed for medal at Jaywalk, but I was always thinking, oh, there's all these other people. It would take a lot of good luck um, and to be able to achieve the medal. But I think mm. generally the GB team in that championships showed that we were consistently performing at the level that it took to, to get medals and things. Um, and I mean, sometimes it didn't go to plan but we consistently had the potential to get there and it was really good that um a number of people so like grace and in the relay megan and the guys in the relay as well Mm -hmm. were all able to put it together so um yeah i think it just showed that gb can really aim high yeah it does and so the sprint I think was up first and you were ninth overall in that talk us through what you can remember of that sprint race um I was very disappointed with the sprint race um I started off we'd done a lot of preparation um so we'd made our following in the footsteps of um Matt Felbaum who got his medal last year um the previous year uh, we as a team made a map of the area from the sort of street view data um, and I made approximately half of the map so I'd done a lot of geeking in advance and we'd done a lot of training in the sort of Danish terrain as well so we knew definitely what to expect and it was very like similar to like a Scottish housing estate really mm-hmm. um, so I felt very prepared when I went into it um, and the race itself felt like I was 
just on the edge of being in control for most of mm. it. I wasn't sure if I was really like I didn't know how I was doing and I came through the spectator control and I think they said I was in the lead but I'd had like I had a middle start block so I didn't think that really meant anything um and almost the fact when I came through the spectator control I I quite often do this I realize everyone's watching me and I think about the running more than I think about the navigating mm. um so after that I started to get a little bit probably just losing the control a little bit and it was all going fine and then right at the end um i think it was the second from last or third from last control or something um i on the section of the map that i had spent ages mapping i fell into the trap that the planner had set with um an uncrossable hedge which i didn't see so i chose a route choice which was going to take me across a open section but i didn't see that i couldn't get out because there was a hedge there mm. i quite often do this with hedges because i find them the least obvious uncrossable feature on the map to mm. see um so and then i realized when i realized that i backtracked was like oh this is really annoying um and then when i was correcting i then made another mistake by running down sort of the edge of a I was meant to run along the, the edge of a car park ended up and running along the edge of a house which was on their sort of terrace or balcony thing which was actually unmapped then had to backtrack again um so I lost I lost the lead on that one leg um which was frustrating um yeah and I finished thinking that was a big waste the main thing that I was annoyed about was that I'd actually mapped that area and spent oh. a long time looking at the hedge and the the layout so I think just the fact that my preparation had kind of gone out of my head in the moment I was mm. frustrated by but it did show that I had the speed to do well um so there were positives to be, be taken from it but yeah it's just not how I wanted to start <laughs> Looking back at that um, mistake then, do you think you've learned anything you'd do differently next time if you're in that same situation? Um, I think generally when it gets towards the end of a race, that's when the focus really needs to ramp up. And I maybe had started thinking about um, sort of the ramping up the speed rather than ramping up the focus. Um, mm. Yeah, because I... Always want to push myself as hard as I can, so I want to finish completely knackered. But you can't do that if you're not if you're not reading the map properly. Um, yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah, makes sense. Mm, and then you had to regroup for the long. Um, obviously, you know, from the shortest discipline to the longest discipline. Um, talk us through how that one went. The the long was. <laughs> really not what I'd hoped for. The long was my favourite, it is always my favourite distance, mm -hmm. but generally I guess you've just got a longer time to stay focused for, so there's more chance of slipping up. Um, but I think my head wasn't really in it on the long distance day. I was trying to, I, I knew I was quick enough, but I still maybe didn't have the full belief in that I could just, oh, it's hard to explain. I, um, I don't know. I just wasn't focused enough. And I was thinking again about the running, um, and almost thinking like, 
I had a point to prove having messed up in the sprint. So I think I was leading at the um, first radio control or just after the long leg mm. um, and then made a big mistake in some green in mm. one of the, there was a, like a butterfly loop and you suddenly saw lots more people and that's when I kind of, in my head mm. I was going into race mode and upping the pace but realistically I was forgetting about the orienteering and thinking more about the result than the process which is where it went wrong and then once I'd made one fairly large mistake it took me a long time to relocate from it um mm. yeah that looks like it was about a three minute mistake from looking at the splits today yeah um so then after that I I think I was losing for, I was doing things like I took a gel and then forgot to check my compass at the crucial point or my number started coming off and I started pinning it back on and not reading my map and just all these silly little things I was <laughs> in hindsight I should definitely have just focused on what I needed to do but I just had got distracted by that point um yeah it wasn't my best race <laughs> no that's so difficult to like once you've lost your focus like that to regain it in a race and and not mm. also feel like you're trying to rush off to regain that time back that you've lost from that mistake yeah, and I think that's something that with experience you realise there's nothing you can do about the time you've lost. But when it ma- when it means a lot to you, it kind of, mm. you always think, oh, maybe this time I'll be able to gain the time back. <laughs> yeah, so two very disappointing races, especially as, you know, you were leading those races at points. So how were you able to kind of regroup after that long you said your head wasn't in the long I mean you got the silver medal in the middle distance your head must have been pretty in the right place for a lot of that race how did you manage to regroup after those two disappointments um so I knew the middle race was my last individual race as a junior I quite like the middle at J with the qualification because um I mean it is a bit different and there is I guess another stage that could go wrong but the qualification gave me a chance to run I knew I should qualify fairly comfortably um, Mm. especially looking at the positives from the previous races Um, and it gave me the chance to just calm things down and make sure I had full focus the whole way um, taking some safe some very safe route choices Um, but it just kind of brought that control back and made me really focus Which position did you qualify in? Uh, yeah, I, can't, I can't remember good now. question. I think I won my heat. Which I obviously must have given you quite a lot of confidence yeah, just settling I was down and first or second. following the processes. Uh, then you go, yeah, all right, so if I follow I the process, I win. Was, I mean, <laughs> easier said than done. I, I think oh, yeah. I, win a heat, yeah. Yeah, I always thought the middle was my least good discipline. So I was... I guess that maybe took the pressure off slightly my, for myself, but then also I was I was quite nervous going into the final um, because I knew I had kind of lost yeah, the previous two won, chances. Yeah, this is the only chance left, but coming into the championships, I hadn't expected this to be my best result, and now I was making it have to be my best result. So, Why did you... You, you said this is your most outside chance of a medal, like beforehand and um not your 
best discipline why do you think you're not suited to that one and maybe more suited to other ones I think perhaps I am reconsidering whether I'm suited to middles or not um <laughs> but I will be in I didn't like the ratio of running to map reading because in my strength has generally been the running um the speed and the long distance you can make your route choice and then just run whereas the middle you're always having to be in contact with the map and focused on the details um which generally hasn't been my strength but i think when my main problems with performance have been just one one moment becoming distracted in the middle if your whole technique is about being fully focused the whole time then there's less chance for you to make silly mistakes that you regret so perhaps that's how I actually did reasonably well in the middle because it's a short amount of time to focus on um interesting suited me as well did it feel quite familiar the terrain by the time you got to yeah definitely um it's the Denmark was the sort of place where I pick up the map and I really feel like I understand it um, and I can just visualise everything like with no problems. I don't have to think like, how would this be interpreted? Um, I've been to some places where I just sort of, I pick up the map and I'm like, this is, this just doesn't feel what I thought it would be like or um, to some previous jaywalks, I've turned up to the model event and felt like it was just a completely different type of orienteering to what I'm used to and I couldn't work out what what was going the next thing was going to look like and it always felt like it puts you in the back foot a little bit whereas in Denmark I felt very confident with the maps we'd been there uh, well we'd been there twice with the British squad and I'd also managed to sneakily arrange for um, the Cambridge University team to do a training camp um, there we normally go somewhere in Scandinavia and I said oh Denmark's a nice place um so um so I'd been there three times in the year leading up to it and just in general it was fairly similar to sort of southern forests and the Chilton Hills or things like that so um that really did help me Mm. it's it's quite different to the last jaywalk in Denmark which is kind of on quite green um grim sand dunes up a bit further north so i guess that kind of suited the the gb team as a whole if you look at the results across the board definitely yeah and we all, always said this will suit us so like it's a really good chance and you have to avoid putting the pressure on you for um by saying that but it also like gives it does give you the confidence inside that like this is what you're used to um mm. Yeah, definitely, because then you can go to every every kind of event in the south of England that you go to, then it's, right, this is purposeful training for Watt because it's almost exactly, exactly the same, rather than, okay, well, I'm going orienteering and it'll be good process practice, but it's not similar terrain training. So I guess this middle race was not just your last opportunity um, in 2019 Walk for an individual result, but I guess in uh, of all the Walks you've done, your first being in 2015 quite a few you know close but no cigar runs where you've you've got some speed to match the top runners but 
as you said, you know, there's been a lot of focus or you've been injured or you've been ill in the races. So did you feel there was quite a lot of pressure on that last race for you? Yeah, I kind of didn't want to waste the... I mean, I've had so much experience um, and so many chances. I didn't want to waste all the sort of opportunity for learning I'd had um, and sort of come out with almost an excuse for every race being like, oh, it was almost going to go well and then this happened. Or I just, I wanted something that, because I thought I'd showed to myself that I had potential in a lot of the races before, but I'd never brought it all together. So I was really, really wanting to do that. And I think the pressure had been mounting or the sort of, the feeling of time running out had, had been mounting over the championship. So I was, yeah, I was very happy to, finally bring it together and the previous I did learn a lot from all the previous jaywalks and sometimes it was frustrating that I couldn't put it into practice immediately um Mm -hmm. I always felt like I've learned this I'm going to make it better next time I'm not going to do this and then something else would happen I'd be like oh (laughs) (laughs) but that's all endearing for you I think (laughs) yeah definitely because you just I mean, every time you turn up in the international, I think you always think you've cracked it and they're, they're going to be exactly the same. But then something in the quarantine is different or, you know, the, the start will be different or the way they set up the controls in the forest or kind of tiny inconsequential things that just suddenly throw you when you think you've got it cracked and then you don't. And it just, like, even, even, the, even the, like getting the GPS before you start or something simple as that and you go, oh, right, simple, I'll go to that tent. It's like, no, you're going to get it in the start lane one minute before you start. Like, oh, great, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I think the first time I had GPS, that also really threw me. I was fine until I started making a very small mistake. I was like, oh, everyone's going to watch this. And then ended up making a humongous mistake and almost like falling off the map. There was like a big cliff at the edge of the map. And I was like running like... And I think at one point my GPS was in the white section of the map, just underneath a massive cliff. <laughs> I think my like my family were watching at work or at home, being like, "Oh," dear. <laughs> and yeah. it was it was mainly the pressure of thinking, "Oh, everyone's watching me do this," <laughs> made it feel even worse at the time. <laughs> yeah, I I feel your pain there. My I think my first jaywalk, yeah, my first jaywalk was my last one. The first race was the long distance, and I had GPS, and I think I made a mistake three controls in. It was immediately, oh my god, my family are in the arena and uh, they're watching me and seeing me make the mistake and oh, everyone's going to be disappointed and all of this. And But then sometimes you get back and realise that it's not even worked. So, so you're, you're just stressing in the forest for absolutely no reason. But that is the joys of international racing when the GPS doesn't even work and you stress about it for an hour and a half. <laughs> um, so Fiona, what do you remember of that middle race and what can you tell us about how it went during the race? Um... <sighs> The first section, I think, was all fair. I made a few small mistakes, so I was thinking, oh, this is, you know, it's maybe going to be an all-right race, but not, like, necessarily good enough. Um, But then, so I came through the spectator control. Oh, there was, like, a route choice leg just before the spectator control, and I was kind of very on edge about which what where to go um because i started to get to that speed where i was finding it difficult to plan ahead um so i kind of felt in my head like i was always uh, like dithering or like making small hesitations and mistakes but actually i think i was just on that balance um where i needed to be and managed to 
really tell myself to keep it focused and probably actually was just taking the speed down a level when I needed to which felt like making a mistake but actually it was fine so I came through the spectator and they announced me in second I think yes mm-hmm. um and then there was only a very short loop at the end but I I was very careful to take a bearing to follow up a re-entrant and my control should have been there, followed up the entrant, couldn't find the control. And it turned out I'd sort of got into a parallel one, which I hadn't even seen on the map. So then I spent a bit of time in earshot of the arena, trying, running around some bushes, trying to find my control, thinking, ah, I'm throwing it away. This is like my last, my last race. And I was doing so well. Um, but then luckily I managed to work out exactly what had happened fairly quickly. But as I ran out of that control, I think there was a bit of a delay on the GPS. They said, oh, she's making a mistake. And I could hear them. (laughs) And I was thinking, oh dear, because I didn't know how far, like what the time gaps were. Mm. Um, So when we started in the arena on that race, um, so the quarantine was just out of the arena. And then you got taken into the arena to start. And just as I was starting they were announcing some of the um men's final runners coming in and it all seemed like it was within a very like short amount those like seconds between everyone i think one of the danish guys was coming in they were getting really excited about him and then turned out he was like down in eighth or something so i was like oh it must be really tight at the top so i thought i've just completely blown it um, but I still like, obviously pushed on really hard and there was a really horrible uphill all the way up to the finish and I was just in so much oxygen debt I was dying so I knew I like I had got to the limit um, mm. which is what I wanted to do um, and then I came in and like luckily they announced me still in second and I was like delighted and sprinted in there was so many people cheering actually it was amazing there was all the I think all the um sort of smaller nations and people like New Zealand and Australia and mm. um, Austria we're quite good friends with. like they were all cheering for me so that was really good but I really didn't know how close it was um, I still had either one or two runners behind me um, so yeah I finished and I was really really like relieved that it hadn't been as close as I thought it could have been but um, yeah it was it was an exciting, exciting last loop. I kept it interesting for the spectators, at least. <laughs> and then did you have a nervy few minutes waiting for the next few runners in? Yeah, I think I was only one runner after me. Um, and it was, yeah, it was a little bit nervous, but um, yeah, it was just pretty cool. And then the whole team was there to congratulate me at the end. And I think we ended up being on the highlights reel of the middle distance day um, when everyone like came and did a massive group hug. So that was, that was really good. Yeah, I was just watching back some of the relay footage actually in the highlights reel for that and just the the so many group hugs that were going through the like the men's team together and then like everybody just group hugging together I mean you must have did you feel really inspired by other members of your team that week you must oh have definitely um so Grace obviously had really good success and me and Grace have been very like very close for quite a few years um and that was really inspiring to see that like 
someone that I'm very close to on a domestic level can do so well. And she also just managed to keep her head at every point that mattered. Um, so that just really, like, we chatted quite a lot during the week and it was quite useful to kind of compare the mindsets. Because um, obviously it wasn't Grace's last jaywalk, so she's still got another year. We can see what happens um, in Turkey. Mm. Um, but so I think for me, I I struggled a bit more with the pressure um, and I had expectations. Um, but yeah, seeing, seeing Grace doing really well in the earlier races did help me, definitely. And it helped the team um, have something to celebrate. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was it was cool to see, like in the first race of the championships, we had a GB on the podium, which was mm-hmm. just like, it definitely made the whole team sort of aim high. Yeah, I guess it shows that it's possible for a Brit to do it. Yeah, and especially in the terrain, we knew it suited us from the training camps and then Grace went and proved it. Um, so yeah, it was. It definitely did help. Do you think it added any um, added any pressure to you? And obviously, when when you're in the team, you're all rooting for each other and, and supporting each other, wanting to to do well, like wanting your teammates to perform. But with it being your last year, did you feel any kind of internal pressure as a result of Grace's um, results? Perhaps slightly. I think I was. I found it quite hard to watch the prize giving of the sprint because I just knew I'd thrown it away at the last minute and I could have been up there with her. Um, so that was, I found that quite hard. But then, to be honest, it it was, I wanted to do as, as well as Grace had done. But the fact that she had done it made me more confident that I could do it as well. Um, so it was more just like a it wasn't so much adding pressure it was more just making me want it even more mm. Mm. an affirmation that was kind of like it is there for the taking you can do it yeah and um, Will I think that's the kind of mindset that's kind of spread into some of the senior team after seeing Grace and Fiona and a lots of success at Jaywalk that you know if they can do it we can do it too yeah yeah definitely I think um, quite a few of the lads have spoken to each other about how the fact that, especially when we're in China, um, mm. and I guess uh, pre-Switzerland as well, going, right, well, there's an expectation now that um, <laughs> we are, as a, as a team, junior or senior, we can win medals if if the day goes right, we're on the right terrain, we feel comfortable, we're, you know, we follow all the processes. There's no reason why we shouldn't be aiming for it. Maybe we Maybe we can't achieve it. Maybe we're not as talented. But there's no reason why we can't do it and why we can't aim for it. So let's just go and do it. Yeah, I think it's really cool that the senior squad were um, like taking such interest in our results. And like I'm really excited to learn from the from the seniors about how they're training and like how they um, how they go about competitions and things like that. Everyone does things differently, but there's quite often some aspect which you find difficult and then someone else goes about it in a completely different way and just mm. helps you give another perspective on it. So I'm looking forward to learning from the seniors. Yeah, um, I guess, would there have been the opportunity last year for you to have stepped into the senior team for any of the World Cups at the end of the year? Um, um, I could have. I, I said I was unavailable for um, the final competitions of the year, um, oh, okay. mainly because I think I 
needed a break. I didn't want to. It is quite a big financial commitment actually going to all these competitions. Um, yeah. yeah, and yeah, having having gone to Jaywalk and spent a lot of my year preparing for it I didn't want to really go to another international competition just for the sake of it without the same preparation because I thought that would be a waste really um, I want to make sure if I go to an international competition then it's with full focus and I'm because otherwise it loses its like it loses its importance because you go along it's just like any other domestic race like there's plenty of opportunities for me to race in the UK or just get some training in. And to be honest, I, I wanted to break from the fully focused, um, this is my one goal. I didn't think I could do that in the, sa- in the same year. Um, yeah. No, that makes yeah, sense. That's, that's what I was um, explaining to Per Forsberg. Um, if you don't know who Per Forsberg is, he's like the main arena commentator international orienteering, who asked me like twice why you and Grace went at the World Cups in Switzerland and China. He was asked, why are they not here? Why are they not here? But, you know, good reasons, I think. Because you prepared so much for Jaywalk. You know, you'd done so much preparation and geeking. How, you know, this was your main event of the season. You know, you'd, how much preparation... So give us an idea of just how much preparation you'd put into it. Um, so obviously I mentioned before, we I've been to Denmark three times in the year leading up to it. Mm. Um, and just in general, I'd been focusing a lot on we did quite a lot of sort of sprint training around Cambridge um which is where I'm based um and we also knew that hills were going to be important so I had hill session like in every week um obviously normal interval sessions as well but like it's quite difficult to get to a hill in Cambridge so it was quite a big commitment (laughs) for me um and I did that for um for the whole sort of two terms leading up to jaywalk so that was a bit of a change from my normal training here um in general the physical training was just i knew this is what i had to be fit for and i was really i was really going for um lots of leg strength stuff in the gym to get sort of the hill um benefit without being at a hill <laughs> and <laughs> Yeah, it was. I was quite sort of. I was ready for a break after after the build up, um, and yeah, in general, we'd just been planning lots and lots of courses, um, mm. making the map obviously, and doing. We had a lot of discussions. We made a big, really detailed team booklet um, with all the stuff we'd learnt from the various training camps we'd been on, um, and sort of like the things that could be important or like just down to little things like what the weather's generally like like what the food's like like how like how everything else is going to be around the competition like is there anything you should take particular um like awareness of um so there's a lot of things that we thought about um in the lead up to it yeah it was a big preparation task that kind of all-encompassing focus and and drive to one single week of one year is really quite draining so it's not a surprise that you wanted um mm. wanted to chill out afterwards because yeah when you're looking at every single session that you're doing every every time you step on the track you're looking at the splits every time you're doing the hills like, oh how did I feel compared to last time am I stronger than last week all of that you know it does it does get to you by the end of the year and 
Yeah, the fact you want, yeah, no surprise that you wanted the break because it's a massive, it's a massive commitment, especially when you've got university and stuff alongside it. Yeah, and I think I'd also done that. I'd been on the sort of the treadmill for like five years, so like every year was the same sort of cycle. Um, and obviously, you do take rest periods within that, but almost like you've always got the next year to aim for the next. So normally, after Jaywalk, there's um, Jack, the Junior European Cup as well. Um, and mm. various other like for the juniors the selection race period over Easter is very busy we have like six selection races um, mm. so like from East is a long season really because you do have to start peaking you have to complete your peak at the selection race but um, just basically from end of March to middle of July you're um, yeah, yeah very focused on training so um yeah, it's. I don't like, think it's even sustainable to make your season much longer than that. Yeah, even I, I always think it even might start a bit before then, like because you always need to get a couple of races in before the first one of the season, before the first election race. So I, I think it always starts at the kind of back end of February, start of March. Kind of now, it's almost like right, season's almost beginning, and you start to think three months down the line already four months online okay what am I doing at World Cup well for me anyway it's like what am I doing at TO what am I doing at World Cup you know test races Eucala walk it's all planned out through to kind of through to the start of August or Europeans at August it's it's yeah it, it doesn't get easier <laughs> you just gotta you just get less holiday so um obviously since Jaywalk, um, you know, finished your last year as a junior, moving on to a senior. Um, you're currently injured, though. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so it's a, it sucks a little bit. Um, I've, I had a stress fracture in my foot, um, which I got in November, um, mm. mid-November. So I was doing a cross-country race, which was our selection race for our varsity match against Oxford which is quite a big deal in um, in Cambridge. Um, and so I'd raced it the year before and um, and actually the previous year I'd got selected for it and then got injured the week before. So this, this year I was being like very careful to keep my mileage nice and constant at a level that I thought was um, like good for me. But I think potentially it, the mileage had been slightly too high, but just it had been consistent, but perhaps it'd been slightly too high. I had no particular warning signs. Um, so I was doing the selection race and just my foot started to hurt. Um, and then by the end of it, it was quite sore. I was meant to be racing the day after. So I just thought I would just do a hundred meter cool down and then rest it and see how it feels in the morning. But it just, yeah, it obviously didn't feel much better in the morning. Um, but I only got it um, properly scanned in January, which is quite a long... I hadn't run um, from November until um, mid-February, actually. Um, mm. I just... I was in a uh, in a boot and on crutches for a little bit. Um, and, yeah, it's just... It's been a long time coming back because I'd expected it to be healed by January but the scan still showed um, a bit of a fracture line so then I had to take another few weeks off and now I'm slowly getting back into it which is it feels good um, I've done a lot of cross training and to keep the fitness up um, but yeah. yeah it's just been taking a bit of patience 
that must be really tough. How how do you cope when you're injured? How do you cope physically, but also mentally? That must be really difficult when you just want to get out and train. Yeah, I think the worst thing that I find is when I see other people like running and I'm like, oh, I just want to do that. Um, and I see people like complaining about the mud at nationals. I'm like, oh, that looks like the perfect course for me. <laughs> I wish I was running. <laughs> if you're complaining, didn't even enjoy it enough. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, there's plenty of things I can do. Like the first few weeks were quite tough because I couldn't really, I couldn't even like cycle or like I couldn't do sessions on the bike I could cycle around to get around because it was easier than like walking um but I couldn't like properly train apart from in the pool and I find I I'm not a massive fan of training in the pool um I just never find I can work hard enough like compared to if I'm running or on the bike um but yeah there was always like a new thing I can aim for so I've been doing quite a lot of cycling um sort of joined the um cycling club at uni well, I haven't officially joined them, but I just go along to a lot of their training um, and do, doing little things like the time, the cycling club time trial to give me something to aim for. Um, doing a lot of work in the gym as well. So basically I cope with being injured by finding what I can do and trying to get better at it. So I've been doing a lot of single leg strength because actually the other leg was normally the weaker one in the gym so I thought oh now's a good chance to make that stronger um and now I've gone slightly too far the other way and then the other one needs to catch up as well um so it's just little things like yeah keep setting little targets Mm. will you when you're you know back to more running will you adjust your training as a result of the injury um, yeah, I think it's going to take a, quite a long time to get back to the sort of what I'd class as normal training. Um, mm. At the moment, I'm doing small, like I did three by five minutes um, on Monday and I have to have two full days off running between each time. I, well, between each time I load it, I need to have two full days off because that's sort of mm. apparently the um, time that um bone metabolism is quite slow so um but yeah i think the things i'll change um i think one thing i do need to focus on is maybe nutrition so like quite often i'd eat sort of the right things or like the right amount but not in the right timings i think that's actually very important um i quite often have like a morning training session and then be straight into a lecture and mm. sort of not have or not have time to properly get like all the recovery stuff. and then I'd be hungry later and I'd eat plenty but like it's like, about like really focusing on getting what you need at exactly the right times because I think perhaps I think your body can take quite a lot of training but if you're not giving it the chance to recover from that then that's when things go wrong um and I think another thing is um, perhaps in the in the winter, I think a lot of people in the UK are deficient in vitamin D. Um, mm-hmm. And I hadn't been taking any. I'm not a massive fan of supplements. I always feel like you should be able to get everything you need from like from your natural diet. And all mm-hmm. these supplements are kind of like money makers, and they convince people that they need them. But I think there's a few things. Um, which are important to focus on. Um, so, so I'm taking vitamin D and calcium at the moment to, just to 
give myself that boost but I don't want to be reliant on supplements I think that's not necessarily Mm. I think you should always aim to get a um, balanced diet instead of relying on all the all the pills (laughs) obviously making sure they're um drug approved what is it the um sport I don't know what the um uh, inform yeah, sport. sport that's it yeah <laughs> go and check that and the water approved list yes <laughs> yes very important um so I guess you are do you have any plans for the upcoming season or are you just kind of gonna take it as it comes so currently because everything's been going quite well on the on the comeback front at the moment I'm still aiming to run in box which is at the end of March mm-hmm. um, so I'm not going to have done any actual like running training in the build up to it um, all my fitness is coming from cross training sessions but I'll yeah. hopefully have built up to the right amount of or roughly the right amount of running time um, to give that a go but I won't set any expectations on that I would just be happy to get out and run um, generally I think orienteering is actually fairly good for the comeback from injury because it's soft ground um, if it's not like a sort of ankle sprain or something it's soft ground and it's always a little little bit varied so um, quite often I've found I've been a bit injured and then gone on an orienteering training camp and it's actually helped to kick start my like return to full running because um, it is something about the this I think it's the pace and the and the terrain actually just makes gives you that full body workout but not like overly stressing anything um so I'm thinking mm-hmm. orienteering should be on the cards fairly soon um and I'll obviously be going to the JK um which mm-hmm. is a big selection race for a lot of different things um I'm just gonna have to see how it goes and not set any um not set any goals that are gonna give me pressure to do the wrong things I'm gonna just focus on being sensible because if I come back too early now then I've ruined the whole um the whole season um whereas if I have a small like a minor setback but do the right things then I'll still have the end of the season there's plenty of different things I can go for so I'm yeah I'm not setting a time scale Mm-hmm. And if you um if you got to to JK in good shape, which I'm I'm sure you will, because yeah, as you say, cross training can get you you really fit. And um, I think in like 2016, I had six weeks just on the spinning bike before Bucks, and then I think I was like like fourth or something like that. So you can definitely get into very good shape, like you said. Um, so let's say you get to Jaywalk, uh, so to JK in really good shape. Will you focus on the long then this this year and kind of as a senior, to kind of. Bearing in mind that you said it was your preferred discipline. So it is normally my preferred discipline, but I think this year I was going to focus on, my plan was to focus on the sprint, obviously, because, I mean, there's a sprint walk. I'm not necessarily expecting to get um, in a team and I always have to see how the recovery is going, but I may as well focus on the sprint. And I think that's quite a good place to come into as a junior because the long distance is obviously quite significantly longer um, mm. for seniors. Um, so I think building the endurance will take maybe a few. I, I think I've got reasonably good endurance. That is one of my strengths. But um, I think to be able to compete on the 
world stage, then the long distance might take a few years to get to that. On the, on the sort of UK stage, it would probably take less time, but um, I think, like, yeah, I think the sprint is somewhere that I can focus on. It also ties in well with having a bit of a track season um, this year because it's obviously the right sort of distance. Yes, I think sprint is what I'd focus on. And also, if I'm only running short amounts at the moment, then sprint's actually quite ideal. Yeah, you don't need to run over 15 minutes. No, I've done 15 minutes on Monday, so... (laughs) Perfect, there you go. Done. Put it with the team. Yeah, I guess first year as a senior, often you've already said people can find that to be quite a difficult transition. Have you kind of taken any advice on how to transition for junior or senior, or have you been kind of taking a different attitude or preparing differently? I think one of the things is there's less structure. So obviously as a junior, you're in the sort of the junior talent squad and there's all mm. these training camps which are organised for you and there's um, a lot of races that you have to go to. Um, and senior, I think there's a bit more flexibility. Um, it's quite exciting. There's a lot of opportunities you can take, but you do have to take a bit more ownership of your own training um mm-hmm. yeah I'm, I'm excited to just have a change really um I'm I know it can be difficult to move up and compete against new people and maybe not do as well as you're used to doing but in a way that's what I'm most looking forward to um just having this chance to sort of start in the middle and then sort of keep building rather than always going to into a race thinking I should win this if I get it right. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, yeah, it takes the pressure off a bit, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's an exciting chance to um, talk to more people and find out a bit more about like how they go about their competitions. And Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say um, thanks for the work you're doing on the podcast. I think it's really good to have have this sort of thing for British orienteering. Oh, thank oh, you very much. Thanks. Thanks. We're uh, we're enjoying yeah. doing it. So and, and thanks for so thanks thank you so for much on. for coming on. It's a fantastic interview there from Fiona Bunn giving us an insight into her J Walk week last year. Um I don't know about anyone else, but really motivating just to hear kind of how she dealt with the pressure in the races and overcame it and uh, and then aimed for the for the medals in the final two races of the week. So really good to hear just what went into um, bringing those medals home to Britain and uh, and her plans for the season as well. So hopefully she is back from injury soon and um, best of luck, Fiona, for the season coming up. We are now going to move on to some slightly um, more meaty topics, I guess, with the uh, <laughs> coronavirus. So... Uh, obviously the virus that's sweeping the world at the moment and um, cancelling a lot of sporting events around the globe you've had MotoGP cancelled in Qatar um, various cycling races in the cycling world tour cancelled uh, Italian football matches being played behind closed doors mm-hmm. um, and uh, and yeah so this this is I guess orienteering is not without impact on this even though we are a smaller sport so um I guess, Catherine, if you want to give us a, the rundown of just how this is starting to impact the orienteering calendar this year, because the IOF have released a statement. Yeah, yeah, I actually got in touch with the IOF to find out what was going on, because I thought, if I've got questions about 
the upcoming World Cups that I'm meant to be working at. I'm sure athletes have got questions about the upcoming World Cups that they're going to be running at. Anyway, so the news is um, one that will not really affect any of us. The Asian orienteering champs, which are due to be held in South Korea, have been moved from May to August. Those dates, uh, the date changes proposed by the organisers. Um, and the IOF have said that they're monitoring the global situation regarding the coronavirus for potential effects on IOF events and activities in collaboration with you know the event organizers as it's basically down to the local conditions in existing in each, each country so if the government says events of a certain nature can't go ahead then that may have an impact um on whether events can be held uh, they they note that the situation and this is i think really important they say the situation regarding the spread of the virus and the global and local reactions to it are changing nearly daily it's therefore difficult to make any blanket statements about what effect this will have on iof activities so basically at the moment no change to anything apart from the asian orienteering championships um but the iof uh and local event organizers are still um you know, uh, keeping tabs on what is mm. happening. Um, in the UK, I've uh, actually been chatting to one of the organisers of the British Championships, and they say that they have no intention of cancelling or postponing the event. The only uh, ca- the only case that they will do that is if um, the government or other body says that uh, events of a certain type can't go ahead if you know if they're banning certain events with so many people so they will only be cancelling or postponing the british championships if they are forced to essentially they don't want to Mm. uh, call it off that's what that's what they've said and we'll be uh, contacting people about that but of course i mean this is changing so quickly so all of this is um we as correct at time of recording but may well change by the time you've listened to this to be honest so, uh, yeah, there's no possible way that we can monitor it as athletes in terms of how we're preparing for races. We just have to keep on preparing as as if the races are going ahead, like you said. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, for all intents and purposes, in my mind, that I'm still training for races that are in the calendar and that I'll be going to. Um, yeah, so if you look at the Mediterranean o- o champs, um, a lot of elite runners use in March as a warm-weather sprint camp. They mm-hmm. have said that that is currently ongoing and and nothing's going to stop that but you've got to wonder if if people are going to go um mm. because or will they have to self quarantine for two weeks when they get back because that's not great for your training if you go to a sprint camp in warm weather that's fantastic get good training come back told to self isolate for two weeks and you can't can't go anywhere and you're stuck on your if you're lucky enough to have a treadmill in your house you're stuck on that um <laughs> mm. but so you, i think people will start changing their seasons and will start changing what they're doing and how they're planning there's a world cup in italy at the end of the year in northern italy yeah. near the infected regions i'm not sure they're in them if the virus lasts for quite a long time is that going to be postponed switzerland um yeah yeah they've i think the government there has enforced a rule of no gatherings over a thousand people so yeah world That's cup in may is that going to happen you know you've got to start asking these questions i guess and team Mila, yeah. there's definitely over a thousand people there <laughs> everything's going ahead at the moment and by the time we get to when the Italy World Cup is the World Cup final you know it's the last event of the World Cup then the situation could be a whole lot different so anyway that's the position for the moment and I'm sure this is going to be one we're going to be following um, for many more podcasts to come 
as has been, and get this for a segue, as has been the <laughs> fair play um, stories going on with China. And actually, a couple of days ago, the findings from the ethics panels were, were published in relation to the... Uh, CISM military world games and then also regarding the World Cup final both of them um, held in China and I've I've done the work for you I've gone through the uh, <laughs> findings and I've picked out the bits that we uh, that we need to know and um, the fight so we'll start with the military games and this is where uh, there were some very strong results from Chinese athletes in the middle distance. Just to recap, if if you've um, not heard about this one, they were found that there were narrow, prepared, unmapped tracks through several areas of vegetation shown as green on the competition map, and they were these Chinese athletes were running in styles and at speeds inconsistent with orienteering techniques of route choice and navigation. That's what it says. A protest was made. The jury sat and they disqualified. Uh, the Chinese athletes um, that they were deemed to have cheated. It says, it says clearly and with any doubt that cheating did occur. Um, but then following that, it was kind of referred to uh, CISM and they eventually removed the Chinese athletes from the original start lists. So it was almost as if they had never... Uh, competed in the first place and that um, you know there were no further sanctions they they weren't allowed to compete in the next um, competitions either but you know it it was it wasn't that they were disqualified the idea it was almost it appears like it was covered over in that they were you know then no longer on on the start list they were no longer on the official results they were just uh, you know absent so the ethics panel was considering both the actual cheating and also the the way that this was dealt with um and they found that the chinese athletes were che- uh, were guilty of cheating but they were mindful the panel said they were mindful of the suggestion that they were acting under orders from the team and that was a strong point of mitigation so those athletes those chinese athletes have been banned from iof activities for two years from the date of the middle distance but they've also gone on to ban chinese team management and representatives from the the chinese military you know orienteering not club but you know the that uh, association yeah they've been banned for four years and the panel believes that the Chinese athletes should have been sanctioned and it quotes re- requests and requires that the official results of the event show that the Chinese athletes is disqualified from the middle race and D- DNS on the other races as well. There's now a 21 day window within which people can appeal that uh, those findings from the ethics panel, in which case it will go to for the court to the court for arbitration for sport, um, you know, the highest court in the, the sporting world that's heard a lot of, you know, big uh, doping cases and um, things like um, Casta Semenya, uh, her case um, as well. So, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much what they've said. I guess it's only right that they can appeal, appeal to Cass, yeah. um, as everything should be able to, to be appealed, to check it's all 
correct and proper, but it, it's quite nice to see justice being done as the fact that clear cheating did occur and they've had yeah. their comeuppance and the fact that they did try and sweep it under the carpet initially and that CISM said that there was no... Um, I can't remember their exact they, wording, they, they but they stated that there was no problem. Saying there was no problem. Yeah, the the event's gone perfectly fine. There's no problem. Yeah, um, that was mentioned in the uh, findings as well, which you could read on um, the IOF website, which is orienteering dot sports. Uh, you can also read the findings from the World Cup final um, ethics panel, and um, you know maybe you think the military world games one has been very decisive very you know strong in the way it's come back this one pretty much the complete opposite because really they were two very very different fair play issues kind of um Mm. and essentially the panel so this this is what they've said the panel has concluded that there is insufficient precision in the referral for any focused inquiry to be undertaken and has therefore decided not to pursue any further actions regarding this referral um you know because the referral referred to that 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 there was incredible improvement of technical skills and running speed of some athletes which created questions but it didn't name any athletes and how, do, you know, incredible improvement. Yeah, people can make incredible improvement by training really well and they've suddenly got really good. That happens. Um, but mm. you can't, so you can't, you shouldn't jump to all conclusions that that's cheating. You know, these Chinese athletes were known to be capable of, of fast running and it says that in the report as well. You know, they can't substantiate any claims of cheating. You know, how can you define an exceptional performance that needs to be scrutinised in this way? And this was kind of my feeling from having been there. There was lots of kind of rumour about and and assumptions being made about what the Chinese athletes were or weren't doing. Nobody could find any proof. This, you know, remains the same. And I think, therefore, there's pretty very, very difficult for the panel to do anything else other than other than to to forgo doing an inquiry because because, yeah, there's just not the evidence, to be honest. Yeah. And and I'd. I don't think there ever will be and there'll always be a question around what exactly happened and and but like you say you can't you can't jump to a conclusion that an incredible improvement of technical skill and running speed creates questions because you look at let's go back to the interview with Fiona and say um okay the British team at Jaywalk last year that's an incredible improvement from where mm. they were the year before but if you listen to it, the amount of work that goes in the amount of training the relevance of the terrain they all felt very comfortable on that terrain with it being mm. so similar to the UK. And we never have yeah. any international races in the UK at the moment. For We've got what coming up soon, but um, for various reasons, we, we don't have any World Cups here. So mm. we have very little opportunity to compete on our home home turf. Um, yeah. And if you, lo- if you look at the Chinese athletes, they obviously perform very well on that, uh, on their home terrain. But then you've also got people... I've used him before um, as an example, but Maxime Retourier, who was second at that yep. World Cup, he was being told by some of the coaches that, oh, you know, maybe, Maxime, maybe you, you should stop this year because you're not getting the results you need and um, you're not really improving very much. And then he suddenly has an out of this world performance at the final race and kind of nobody questions that. So um, these things can happen. And, and the beauty of orienteering is that it's a sport that you can suddenly just have everything click and you can have a phenomenal performance. And that does happen if you're, if you're in shape and it all mentally goes well, you can have an outstanding performance. 
the, I guess the issue yeah. comes with quite the, the consistency of the outstanding performances across the Chinese team. Um, mm. and that, that's where the issue comes to light, I think, for most athletes who were there. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, there's... I think for me, the way I, I'm reading this personally is, you know, you're innocent until proven guilty and there's not enough evidence to prove them guilty, so... yeah. You know, and it's not a nice feeling. Up. You don't no. just want to look at people and assume they're cheating because that's that, that's not what orienteering is or what we do. But which um, is interesting, you mentioned that will because um, the panel did actually say that. So they they'd read some of the social media comments that had been going around and read, uh, you know, looked at some of the data and everything, um, and they, they've actually said the council should consider strengthening the concept of fair play to include commentary on fellow athletes. That was their response to a lot of posts on social media that were assuming that the Chinese athletes had cheated. Um, so actually, again, there needs to be, you know, maybe people backing off from making those assumptions i mean i can totally understand people making those assumptions but the damage that that does i don't know is that um is that too much it's it's kind of an interesting um would be an interesting debate i think Mm, definitely and i think you're always you've always got vocal people on social (laughs) media nowadays and it's been very well highlighted in britain last few weeks how uh, how social media can be a a vacuum that people get absorbed into and they f- can feel free to say whatever they want because there's no consequence. Because I, I don't think I saw any athlete in China going up to the athlete team and calling... The, the Chinese team, sorry, or the Chinese athletes and calling them cheats. But there Agreed. was a lot of commentary about it on social media. So why did they feel that they could do it on social media? But if you're that confident, go and ask them. Go and, go and have it out and say, you know, wh- mm. what's this all about? Um... And like you said, if there's not the proof to do that, you know, maybe let the, submit your submit your views to the panel, submit your concerns, all of that, and then let the official process decide. Because it can't have been very nice for those Chinese athletes at the closing ceremony, and I'm sure they would have they would have heard what was going on. They would have known mm-hmm. what would kind of was being said. They're not idiots, mm-hmm. and it can't have been very nice for them to to have been hearing that. And if they've been working, you know, I'm using a lot of um, kind of ifs and buts and, and all of that bit diplomatic it, language yeah very diplomatic language um <laughs> but if if they if they weren't cheating and they were at that banquet and they'd had their best result in a world cup of their life mm. they they were almost having that robbed away from them by let's say and let's say one of their teammates did cheat and also got a very good result you know, that can't have been very nice for them to see and they, they must think you know what this isn't the sport i've come into i've just seen a teammate cheat and all of that so i don't think this is this Sadly, it is not a unique situation to to the Chinese and the mm. Chinese World Cup. There's been instances in the last few years in Britain where there's been, I think, quite prolific cheating at certain events in the UK and people haven't owned up to it. Last weekend at the Portugal meeting as well, that's normally a big season kickoff for a lot of international elites and uh, there was controversy in the very first race there which was an urban middle distance they'd, I think they'd used some forest mapping for it instead of some new sprint spec mapping that the IOF mm. has just released um, and people were being called out on Twitter there for uh, for quote unquote um, cheating and uh, there's a couple of very vocal commentators on, on Twitter you know, calling people out and saying you have cheated to, to win this race get second in this race you should be disqualified or go and disqualify yourself 
Um, mm. So it's not a unique thing to um, to the World Cup. It's sadly orienteering is a sport where you can cheat relatively easily, but this it's also not always intentional. The mapping I've I've looked at the map and the routes of of that Portugal meeting competition, and people can go and have a look at the um, the route gadget for it as well. Mm. And I think the 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 styles of mapping that the IOF have released are inconsistent, and people don't have enough knowledge. And whether that's on the athletes to know, or whether that's for the organisers to coherently state in the final details, mm-hmm. probably both. Um, I I looked at a couple of those legs and went, yeah, I, you know what? At speed in oxygen debt, I probably would have taken that route because it's it's kind of a dark green. It's not olive green or really dark green, so I thought it probably would have been passable. I probably would have taken it and just bashed through the forest. Um, so it happens, it happens, and people inadvertently cheat, but I guess it is cheating. But it, it, but it's not isolated, is kind of what I'm saying. Yeah, well, uh, you know, as we've been saying about the story time and time again, it doesn't end here, it's going to continue, and I think as we get into the World Cup season, um, as we get towards some of the championships in the UK, then I think this is going to um, surface again and again. Definitely. But I guess let's let's try and end on a on a on a bit of a high note after that. Um, <laughs> so the next couple of weeks uh, coming up, so we've got British Orienteering Championships in two weeks' time. Um, we'll do a preview podcast of that before the British Champs comes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that will come out before the British Champs. But um, I guess at this point of the season, Catherine, do you want to pick three people to to watch out for in the year? Um, and and I'll do the same. Oh, oh, that's tough. Okay. Ooh, Throwing you under really, the bus a bit here. You've, I've, you've not prepared me for this. No. <laughs> um, oh, okay. Um, I want to say, I want to say, um, I want to say Fiona Bunn because I think that's going to be interesting to see what she can do um, in her first year as a senior. Mm-hmm. Um, Agreed. I think. Yeah, I think Megan Carter-Davis has still had a fantastic winter. She's racing well, seen at the British Knights. She holds all the British titles. And, you know, she's been making progress into great results internationally already. And I think, you know, she can really keep on progressing and she's on for some great things. And... Oh, the men's, the men's. I want to bring up one of the men. It's so much closer for me, it seems, on the men's side of things. And I think for selections for the World Championships and stuff this year. Um, but I want to see what, what Graham Griswold's going to do this year. I think, you know, he's been out, had troubles in the last few years with injury and everything, but seems to be feeling pretty confident with his training and his running at the moment, taking that seventh world british knights title so away from the sprinting probably with graham um it's going to be interesting we've got our first forest european championships in estonia that's coming up that we haven't really been talking about i think um graham griswood is going to be one to watch out for um there yeah no definitely your three um i i would i definitely agree about answers no no you start i I definitely agree about fiona Uh, i think she's she's due a good a good year and she's got a head screwed on I think she's going to do really well um, Alice Leake has mm-hmm. been running fantastically well picking up PBs in various races um, I think a best ever performance at the English National Cross Country last week so I think watch out for her I think she's really going to do well and, and improve on that top 10 place she got in 2018 this year and oh for the 
the men's a tri- the men's a tricky one, and I never they like are. to kind of go in too much. I'd like to, I'd like to no, see what I do. No, because you're part obviously. of the group, aren't you, Will? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd like to see what I do. I, I feel in quite good shape, and um, I feel like I'm running quite well. But uh, obviously, for all of our predictions throughout the year, I'm going to kind of discount myself from from the results. Yeah, um, yeah we'll put that so, lay that down now as a rule. Lay, yeah, lay that down now. Uh, I so not Megan, but Ben Mitchell. Very excited to see mm. what he does. He's stringing together a good few months of training. I think the performance at the British Knights was below uh, below his par. Below par and I yeah. think that he'll be on for a good year this year. Yeah, interesting. Good shout. Okay, well, um, we'll, we'll maybe we'll come back to those in, uh, towards the end of the season and see uh, whether we've been correct in any of those. Um, but I guess that's all we have time for in this podcast um we will be back again as we said in a couple of weeks time with uh, our preview of the british championships uh but until then goodbye <laughs>